Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also available online to the masses at RadioNorthland.org. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host down there deep in the heart of Texas. He's back and ready to go. I'm talking about the grizzled vet, Mike McCurdy. Mike, how are you down there uh, these days, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Yeah. Starting the uh, fifth year. Starting my fifth year with Rasslin' Memories. Yeah, I you saw know, I, back in 2018. I saw the old uh, memory pop up there, and I I just had to check it out. And yeah, it's been that long since Al Burke was uh, so kind to give us uh, some of his time. Yeah, and Al Burke's responsible for the grizzled vet. That was that was his. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the of me that day. kind of the formation of it. So yeah, and, wow, another year goes by, and we're ready to take on another year here. It's our first uh, freshen for 2022, and. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've been keeping up. I think I watched more wrestling last weekend uh, than I had uh, in one week's time. Or actually, a couple of weeks' time, uh, I, I watched the Impact uh, Wrestling Hard to Kill pay per view, and I actually uh, I quite enjoyed it for the most part. I thought, I mean, there was a couple matches that were still good, but not spectacular. But overall, they had some fun stuff, and seeing some of the ROH guys start to and gals start to make their presence uh, felt. Uh, while ROH is on their little uh, break, it was, was kind of nice. And it again, Impact is the, I think, uh, you know, talk about this forbidden door term now. I think Impact might be one of the origin places of that forbidden door because they are moving in all kinds of different directions and they have all kinds of good faith uh, deals, you know, with not only the NWA, but with New Japan, AEW, uh, ROH, uh, and even WWE with Mickey James joining the Royal Rumble here this month. So I think if you want to play all the, the, the home base of the forbidden door, it's got to be Impact. I don't have to agree with that. I watched a few of the matches from the pay-per-view, and I really enjoyed the ladies' match, which was uh, the main event. I mean, that was just great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, the Forbidden Door, everything's showing up, you know. Who would have thought on WWE television they'd refer to someone as the Impact Women's Champion? Yeah, I was... You know, they don't, they don't talk about nobody. No, no, no. I was really taken aback by that. But, again... Will this be lead to more things? I mean, there's always again you you could play armchair quarterback and 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 try to prognosticate about what could happen with it. But we'll just I, I'm 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 a skeptical. I'm going to see what you know see what happens with this Mickey thing. Will there be others joining in? It, it's really definitely an interesting time just with pro wrestling in general. I mean, there's so much of it out there, but there's so much of it that's actually pretty damn good. Well, definitely, and then of course along with the uh, the hard to kill pay per view, they also you know AEW just had their battle of belts and. Uh, Oh, yeah. I thought Sammy Guevara and Dustin Rhodes was a far better match than I was expecting. Yeah, me, me uh, I mean, too, Dustin Mike. Rhodes is a great talent, but it seemed like a clash of styles to me, but, dude, they pulled it off. It was a great match. Yeah, I was, you know, I didn't really know what to expect going in, but the way, as far as those two mashing styles-wise, but I I was so impressed. I've been just very much impressed with uh, the last couple of years of Dustin Rhodes. You know, he's been in excellent shape. He's in his early 50s. He's he's pulling off these matches like he was still in, you know, the top-tier main event uh, title pitcher. And and with that match for the interim uh, TNT title with with Sammy, I mean, I I was really, again, that was one of those pleasant surprises. So good on good on them, and just you know, keep it up, keep up the momentum here. Oh, definitely, I enjoy, I enjoy watching the AEW. Looking forward to see where they go with the obvious CM Punk MJF match. I think that right there is going to be just an amazing match. Mm-hmm. You know, and speaking of AEW, just yesterday the Pro Wrestling Illustrated issue came out with their year-end awards. You know, the one everybody looks forward to, and AEW dominated. Like I swear, they won almost everything. It's still that flavor, that that flavor everybody wants. Uh, and, and again, they, I haven't seen the issue, but 
So, uh, sounds it sounds like basically almost a sweep, but pretty much a majority rules uh, this year as far as those awards and honors and recognitions handed out by PWI. Almost definitely, CM Punk uh, won a couple. Uh, MJF is you know most hated, which there's nobody in his class right now, so that was an obvious choice. <laughs> well, he is he is great. Hey, Mike, we could talk about this stuff uh, for on and on and on, but you know what? Uh, that would be disrespectful because we have a very solid guest booked here this week, and I'm so glad that you were able to to get in touch with him and stuff. I remember watching him uh, uh, when he was uh, early on in his uh, career on the uh, ESPN Network as part of the Global Wrestling Federation shows down there at the Global Dome, aka the Dallas Sportatorium. Whether he was working in the light heavyweight division or tagging up. With with his pops, Tug Taylor. This guy's done some good stuff, Mike, and I want you to welcome him into the program because it is an honor to have him. It is, man. I've been, I've been trying to get this guy on the show for a couple years now, but, you know, he's busy, got a lot of things going on. And, you know, you, you say we, we, have, we have a great guest. He uses a word that is stuck in my head now, and we have a fantastic guest. Yes, that is an actual word that he has won. Our guest today on <laughs> Rational Memories, None other than Chaz Taylor. Chaz, welcome to the show. Well, hello, beautiful people. How's y'all doing today? Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm glad to finally get you on, man. Like I said, we've been trying for a couple of years now, but you know, you're you're a busy guy. You know, people don't realize that. You know, even though, even though you're not in the ring, you know, you're still doing the social media, the TikToks, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been pretty busy. I've been doing movies and stuff lately. I haven't been in the ring, and uh. I, you know, you want, don't want to say it's a good thing that 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 I'm kind of have a downtime right now, but I actually had a major surgery, so I'm actually down for a few weeks, just kind of relaxing, trying to get back to normal. I mean, what is really normal anymore, right? But uh, I had a I had a major surgery, had uh, some of my colon and bladder taken out due to an infection in my stomach, and so it kind of put me on the shelf for a little bit. But uh, man, I'm just alive and well, and loving life and enjoying this beautiful weather. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit, you know, well, Glenn mentioned it, you know, I think a lot of people, we kind of came to know your name back in the you know early nineties with the global dome and global wrestling federation. So, you know, let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, where your career started. Cause obviously your father, one of the greats here in Texas, Tug Taylor, you know, how did you kind of get started in wrestling and all that? And, you know, into the global dome and global wrestling federation. And, you know, let's talk about the beginnings of uh, your career. All right. Well, um, I started out just not really, didn't really have any desire to, to, to be a wrestler. I just, I mean, that's what my dad did. And, you know, I enjoyed watching him do it. Never really thought, you know, well, shoot, I want to do that, you know, but, uh, he had a, he let me travel around with him for a little while and, uh, he got his school going and, uh, so spent time with him after school down at the gym. He let me go down there with him and, after a while sitting there and seeing some of the students get things wrong and repeatedly, you're like, God damn, how can you not do this kind of stuff? You know, I am just like, I'm like, dad, can I get in there and show them how to do it? I mean, I just, you know, and I, I just kind of picked things up from listening to him and watching him show people how to do things. So, you know, I learned how to take bumps when nobody was there and just, so he, he would, you kind of use me as the throw dummy and the tackling dummy and, the dummy dummy, I guess you will. I don't know, but, uh, you know, I just, <laughs> I just started, uh, getting in there and 
letting his students throw me around. And I mean, what better way to learn than firsthand? And so, uh, we had a, a battle royal that, man, I was noodled leg in it, and I was just like, man, they just beat the snot out of me. You know, and nobody took it easy on me because, you know, dad told him, don't take it easy on him. He needs to learn too, just like you guys. So, you know, the, the men and the women all kind of just, they ate me up, but you know, I, I, I earned their, uh, respect and just I kept at it you know we all had injuries but you know and we all got hurt doing different things you know wrestling ain't easy and uh so I just kept at it and uh started traveling around with the Von Erichs Chris Adams and Steve Austin and all these guys that would go around Texas Oklahoma Louisiana and doing different shows and uh like I'd referee like we had a, a show at this high school once and uh we, uh, the referee got hurt in the first match. So first or second match. And, uh, they were like, well, hell, what do we do now? And I made eye contact with Steve Austin and he said, well, about the kid. So, uh, and then I refereed some matches and, you know, kind of followed around with those guys and they threw, threw me into the ring every once in a while and, um, just went up to global and, it was uh, actually, you know, I, I made good friends with Bill Dundee and Jeff Jarrett and a lot of the guys. And uh, so when they were running the Sportatorium, we were all talking. And you know, Jerry Jarrett, he's like, you know, all right, kid, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a spot for you. And then, uh, from what I remember, they, they were saying, all right, well, one time we went there, and they were like, all right, we're gonna take a, a few weeks off, and came back, and Global was there, and we were like. You know, I was kind of like, well, what the hell? Here, I got a spot. Now the company's gone. So I just like, you know, I just shut up and listened and watched what was going on. And we everybody had a meeting out in the in the in the stands. Joe Pedicino pulled everybody into the audience and uh, before the crowd was there, obviously, and just you know, so all right, you know, they had the Patriot, X Pac, and bagwell and you know everybody was there all sitting in the stands and they were like all right well this is you know a new company taking over and we know they had some things in the works whatever but you know we're going to start fresh and we're going to give everybody uh open door and see how things go and um you know the new company in they didn't know who the hell i was so it was kind of like and you can hear it in uh the first match that i had with them with uh axel rotten where, you know, they were expecting him to go in there and showcase and everything. And I mean, the guy was talented, but they, they had no idea who I was. So they didn't know what to expect. So they just were like, all right, well, we're just going to put you guys in there in a match. And, uh, I hit it off with Axel and, you know, we did some stuff and wowed the crowd. And, you know, if you, if you watch on my YouTube channel, the Chaz Taylor, nice little plug there, huh? Um, if you, uh, check out my YouTube channel, it, uh, it has the match on there with me and Axel and other matches. I've been actually putting some of the other matches up there lately too, from global. So, you know, people can go there and enjoy, but, uh, if you listen to the commentary with Pettacino and, uh, Craig, they, uh, you know, it kind of shows that they're like, wow, who the hell is this kid? Where did he come from? Kind of deal. And that kind of, that kind of got my foot in the door and then just, showing up week after week and working out, working hard and showing them that, Hey, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. What are we going to do? Um, they ended up doing things with me. So, you know, it kind of 
opened up doors for me and I got to travel a bunch of different places and Japan, Brazil, Saudi, Belize, Mexico, all over the States, all over everywhere. And here we are now. Now, when Global first started, you, know, you said you showed up for the sportatorium, you know, and the guys are there. and It's now Global. And at that time, I mean, Global had a pretty good, you know, little piece of the pie right there because, you know, they were on ESPN five days a week. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys in there at that point in time that, you know, obviously went on to, you know, just big stars in WCW and WWE and everything. Also, you right. were, you know, people mentioned Sean Waltman, people mentioned Jerry Lynn. You were part of the light heavyweight division in global. And at that time, the light heavyweight division wasn't the thing yet. So you were kind of there at the beginning of that. What was that like as part of that division? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great because they gave us the freedom and, you know, the, the, they, they just, you know, Hey, y'all go do your thing. And, uh, you know, just respect the business and, you know, but still tell a story and, and do what you got to do to get yourselves over. And, um, man, it was just awesome because it was like a lot of guys go around two two 200 pounds that we just, you know, we were able to do a lot more things with, and it was just, you know, the great thing back then, it was really cool that just for my own self, you know, every, every month, you know, you, you got to be a mark for the magazines that had come out and every, every month it come out with all these different guys in the top 10 or whatever. And every time they had me up there and like number two or number three, and the only guy that was, that I could never get out, you know, number one on top of was Jushin Thunder Liger. And, uh, you know, that's something I'll never forget because, you know, you see all these magazines where you're in the top 10 of the different companies and stuff. And, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. It's all, you know, dad always taught me, he's like, you can't believe the good. You can't believe the bad. Just know who you are and go out there and do what you're trained to do and have fun and do what you love to do. You know, don't believe the hype, you know, because if you're going to believe the good, you're going to believe the bad. So just believe in yourself instead. So, uh, I mean, there was just a lot of great talent. It was kind of like the melting pot, you know. Um, there was a lot of veterans and there were a lot of rookies that, you know, it was just like a big family. There were a lot of guys that were coming in and trying to make their mark. But, you know, in the four or five years that it was going, um, four years maybe, I would, you, know, you know, I may be off a little bit in my numbers, but there weren't too many guys that were there from the beginning to the end. But, you know, the guys that were there, it was like a fraternity and a friendship and a family that is pretty unique and awesome. And, you know, right now is a great time with wrestling. And, you know, there people may disagree with me or whatever, but, you know, I kind of look at uh, Tony Khan's got this thing going on right now that is kind of like global, but it looks like it's going to stay around a lot longer because there's a one owner kind of deal rather than you know changing hands and people not knowing what's going on towards the end with global and when things started going awry but you know and the, and the bookers and office changed and everything but you know it looks like aew is the global of now if that makes sense to you i mean you got these guys coming out of the woodworks and all these names and and guys that are up and comers that are i mean would you agree with me saying that it's kind of the equivalent? I would, I would say that. Yeah, you know, Glenn and I have uh, made that kind of you know correlation before that 
there are definitely some uh, similarities between, you know, Global and AEW and just how they came in. And they, Global filled a spot. Like I said, they filled a spot that wasn't available at that time. Like you said, that was the light heavyweight division and things like that. And now AEW comes along, you know, uh, 2017 or 18, whichever it was. You know, and then they filled the spot because there wasn't anything other than the WWE. So AEW kind of came in and did the same thing that Global did back in the 90s. Right. Yeah, at, at one time, Global was the number two company. And, I mean, it was, it was a nice little ride. Now, when you're watching, you know, you watch AEW and you see the guys, they're doing their thing. And, you know, you realize that, you know, hey, you kind of, opened the door for that style of wrestling in the U.S. back in the 90s, along with Jerry Lynn and Sean Waltman and all that. You know, how does that make you feel? Because obviously at the time, you know, this is your job. You're asked to go out there and do this, and you're going to do it the best of your ability, and you're going to put yourself over. But, you know, now you look back on it, you know, 30 years later, and you see a lot of influences from what you did. You know, how does that make you feel? It feels great, but, you know, I can't take credit for it. You know, it was – I just happened to be there doing my thing and, and loving it. But – uh you know, I, you know, I, I love you guys for keeping me relevant and remembering me, but you know, I, I don't know that a lot of the guys in the locker room even know my name or who I am. Um, you know, I, I talk to some of the guys, um, off and on online and mess direct message back and forth and stuff. So, you know, I, I talk to some of them, but you know, I don't know that a lot of guys watch a lot of old school stuff. Like we used to, we used to have to do a lot of research and I mean, you you walked into the locker room, you knew who everybody was. And, you know, I, I, even now I walk into some locker rooms and, you know, it, it doesn't hurt my ego because I never really had an ego, but people don't know who I am. And I'm just a normal guy. I just happened to be on TV. Now, being on TV, you know, obviously when you were wrestling with Global, you wrestled as Chaz. You didn't, you didn't have the last name. And, all, and of course, we all remember the uh, – you know, the storyline where, you know, Tug comes out and saves you from an attack, and then he announces on Global that, you know, you're his son, and then it became Chaz Taylor. But, you know, while you're in there in that story, we all remember that storyline. I remember watching it. You know, what was it like getting to work with, with your dad? And at first, you know, you were going there trying to make a name for yourself, you know, and then you went on, and, you know, we all realized, you know, father and son and all that. But what was it like getting to work with your father and, Kind of what was the, the, the correlation that story? I mean, did you want to go in as just Chaz and prove yourself first? Or, you know, had you worked as Chaz Taylor before that? No, I, I always worked as Chaz because I, I, I just started out with the thing that, you know, dad was, he had a history of being a heel, but, you know, there weren't a lot of young baby faces that with charisma that could work the crowd. So that's, a, so that's what they wanted me to do. So they wanted me to go out there and, you know, kiss babies and hug necks and so i'm like yeah i like doing that i can do that so uh that's what they had me do and man like working with family is unlike any other it's just like you can't explain it um or i'd probably do a bad job of explaining it but uh, i just um it was a great thing and you know i was fortunate enough to i mean the office wasn't stupid. They, they knew it would make more sense if they needed me as a baby face and dad was a heel to, you know, not confuse the crowd. Um, so, you know, luckily they, it, it kind of worked that they let us do the, the whole thing of me just being Chaz, kind of like Sting, Cher, Madonna. I, I liked the one single name and, 
not many really pe- people really questioned it. Um, you know, some people see you, you know, you arrive to different places together and stuff. And, you know, you know, your immediate people that were around wrestling, they knew, but you know, they didn't tell everybody. So, you know, it was all good. And, uh, you know, it was, it was the thing that was going on. And, uh, when, when dad came down ringside and saved me, he was in pro wrestling illustrated number 10, most popular that week, which was kind of cool. You know, it's like people were watching, you know, and, and, you know, I, I heard a, a heartfelt story. One time, one of the guys I went to high school with, graduated with, uh, Russell was, uh, we met at a reunion and, uh, high school reunion shooting how many years later. And he was saying that when he was in college that, uh, he would argue back and forth with some of the people in, in his college because he's like, I know Chaz, I know he, we went to school and they were like, no, you don't, you know, you don't, you know, and he, you know, he was telling them different stories and stuff. And, and, uh, I was kind of like, dude, I'm just a normal guy. You know, I'm like, it was kind of funny that they were talking about me. I thought, but it was like, you know, they would watch me on ESPN and, I'm just living the dream, you know? Now, what made them decide to actually go with the, the storyline of, you know, your dad coming out to make the save and, you know, telling everybody you were his son? Because, like I said, you know, that was, that was a big reveal. Nobody, you know, TV-wise, nobody knew, you know, there was any relationship between the two of you. You know, what was, what was the uh, kind of the gist of that storyline and where did it come from? And, you know, how was it introduced to you and then saying, hey, we're going to put you and your dad together? Right, right. Well, because, uh, you know, we never went toe-to-toe, so, you know, you don't see... Well, we did on dark matches at different places and stuff. We got in the ring together, but, you know, on TV, nobody... TV land, nobody really knew, so uh, it kind of just fell into place with great storylines that, uh, you know, the writers say it was me and Sean Waltman, and we had Terry Sims, we had the Davis brothers, and we needed another guy that could be on my side and you know so it was like well they didn't really have an angle for my dad at the time so it was just a natural fit that you know the storyline just kind of unraveled to where it was like just beauty i mean it was kind of and a funny thing i haven't told many people about that if you watch the video um of dad carrying me a lot of people don't know about the one of the beauties of the sportatorium and the global dome was that it was, it was a bowl, if you will. And it had bleachers, uh, that went down into this bowl where the middle floor was where the ring was. And it literally was like a cement bowl with the bleachers all around it. And then stands up higher than that. But, uh, so I'd say it's probably like about a 45 degree incline. And I was 200, 220 pounds, maybe, and after the match, dad carried me up the, the ramp, which is probably 40, 50 yards. He gets around to the inside the locker room door and he's like, boy, you got to go on a diet. <laughs> he, carried me up, he carried me up this, this ramp. And I'm like, well, hell, I couldn't make myself a hundred pounds at the time, you know? So he's like, he couldn't let me down. He had to carry me the whole way, which was like, it was just a thing of beauty. So, uh, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the mic over to I'm gonna pass the mic over to Glenn. I'm sure he's got a couple questions. Yes, thanks, okay. Mike. Thanks, Mike. And this is Wrestling Memories with our very special guest Chaz Taylor, and we're talking Global Wrestling Federation. And I remember when that 
when we, the ESPN started airing those shows, I mean, this was, uh, you know, about summer 91. And I can remember because one of the things, one of the first big stars they really uh, strapped the rocket onto was a guy that I had been watching. Wasn't that far along, or it wasn't that long ago, a few months back, in fact, before uh, the AWH shut its doors, was a guy by the name of Del Wilkes, who was uh, the Patriot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, talk about a guy that, uh, I, you know, in the AWA, we got a chance to see him playing a, a, a cop character, but he they really had some, some great confidence uh, in, in what he was uh, delivering. And for the, for the most part, I mean, for a guy to come in, that, that was that was a pretty good signing, uh, kind of one of those uh, sleeper signings. And he really had had made his mark in those early days of, of Global. And I'm just was thinking about Dell the other day. So it was just kind of wanted to tie that into the, the Global talk. Yeah, he was a great guy, man. He was, he was, Dell was just, he was just built, he was a Greek god, man. He was just built yeah. for that, and he was a great guy. I mean, and, you know, he, he, he was a good-looking guy, but he wasn't really that pretty. So putting the hood on him was kind of like, it made him even better than what he was, kind of, <laughs> you, know, he, he, you know. I don't mean that to be you sound bad or anything, but, you know, it was like, Oh, was a hell- he, he looked like he he looked like a superhero. It was a classic formula. He had the the body dimensions for it, so why not? I mean, the mask is always a, a big part of pro wrestling, and also in the early '90s with all of the the golf stuff, golf war stuff, kind of bubbling under. You know, having that patriotism then was another another big call to attention, and and, and of course he could really work, and that's always a plus too. I mean, not only just he has the flash, but he has some of the substance too. Right. Right. Well, and then they brought in great leaders that could help us out, you know, like a lot of the guys that were trying to make our way. I mean, they had Mick Foley. We had uh, Mm -hmm. Rip Rogers, um, Black Bart. Man, there were just so many guys that were, you know, sorry. It had a – because it was kind of a crossover, if you will, or or a, a changing or a loosening of a lot of stuff because the first few years in the business, it was like kind of quiet with a lot of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the kayfabe era and everything, it was kind of, it was kind of quiet to where a lot of guys coming in, they didn't want to help you because they figured if they helped you, well, then they might take my spot. A lot of jo- a lot of jockeying, you know, basically, because it's their their livelihood. They thought on the line because it was kind of uh, their, their their meals, and they didn't want to have their meals taken away from them. That, that sort of kayfabe mindset in those territory days. Right, right. Well, and, and, and it was kind of like okay, well, it's kind of you understand it, but yet it's like, well, I didn't care because I'm like, if somebody's going to take my spot, well. They worked harder than I did, mm-hmm. but that really, you know, I stayed at the global for the whole time there, you know, and, you know, I did some stuff with ECW, TNA, NWA, and, and, and all the different companies throughout the year. Shawn Michaels had TWA in San Antonio. I was there the whole time. And, you know, it, how cool is it also, you know, not to switch off a of global, but to have Shawn Michael refers to you in his company as the love machine. That's kind of cool, right? Oh, I, that's definitely worth it, man. Coming from the heartbreak, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's a hell of an endorsement, you know, to have Sean right. say things like that and direct them in a great positive way towards you, man. And there's matches on the on my uh, YouTube channel of uh, of, of TWA also. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to locate. Uh, I mean, if anybody else has anything out there that they can send to me of matches that 
they have that were like in house shows or something, something that, you know, they'd like people to see that me or my dad or somebody's on, please put it out there. Let me know. Cause I mean, there's so much like I'm sitting on a library here that I'm not even a, a, a eighth of a way on with global that I have it all on DVD that I'm trying to, you know, decipher through and put them up slowly on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a lot of footage there that the people, people and, and, and talent would like to see, because, you know, I'm sure some of these guys out there, like uh, T.J. Perkins and uh, Sam Adonis that, you know, the, the great workers that they're doing a lot of the stuff that me and Waltman and Jerry Lynn were doing back then. Mm-hmm. And what's old is new again. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. So I think some of these guys that are up and comers, if they watch some of that global, I mean, you're going to learn some good stuff. So, I mean, they're, they're, you know, for people that can't think of new ideas, you know, I mean, we were in the, in the gym. For hours, I would break down tapes of watching Pillman and Ricky Morton and some of these guys of how they did the different moves and where their feet were, where their hands were, mm-hmm. where they where they jumped from, and just breaking each move down, you know, motion by motion. And you know, and I see a lot of guys that are, are doing things just to do the moves, and there's like it's kind of I guess like the English language. You know, there's the proper English, and then there's the the English and the slang and mm-hmm. the ghetto and all the different verses. You know, the versions and but like we had a wrestling school. A lot of people know that. Dad and I had a wrestling school where we trained people, and we pretty much trained them the proper way, and then told, "All right, now you put your flair on it, your twist on it, and uh, and we'll go from there." But I mean, there's. You know, there, there's some people that just do moves. And, and some people have heard me say before, there's people that are pro wrestlers and there's people that are acting like pro wrestlers. And, you know, it just, we got we got to keep it to the, the purest form of it. And, you know, we need to, I think we need to keep a, a good police. And I think they're doing, everybody's doing a great job of, promoters are doing a better job. It kind of got lazy there for a little bit, but, I mean, you see a resurgence of it now to where, I mean, there's a lot of talent out there and everybody's looking and, and, and they're actually pro wrestlers rather than acting like pro wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? That definitely makes sense to me, man. You know, you had a chance also as far as learning different styles and learning, uh, you know, being able to travel. You, you ended up in the early 90s, around 92, going over to Japan, working for Wing. Talk about that uh, that experience because not only have you had your seasoning in the States and you're still relatively young, what was that like to go over to that country to kind of learn and mix and work uh, their style and also deal with with the audience and uh, their crowds, and um, you know, also just the lifestyle over there. I mean, that had to have been some a hell of an experience for a guy your age, even though you've had a few years behind you in the business at the time. It was. I mean, it was like they had their own talent there. They brought some talent from the states with us, and I mean, it was. It was a great learning uh, opportunity, and uh, I mean, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. I mean to go back uh, time and time again, but, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I might've messed things up over there because, you know, like sometimes you got to question authority and, and I did, you know, so I, I was mm-hmm. over there in Japan, but I, I didn't go, I didn't keep returning back to Japan because, you know, this is something I never talked about either. So, you know, I mean, you're kind of, 
I mean, I don't, I, for those that do care, um, like when I was over there, the office wanted to do certain things and I was just like, no, and that doesn't make any damn sense. So, and the way I was raised was you can do anything in the ring as long as it makes sense. If, if uh, something happens and the referee pin you, does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Kind of deal. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I've never, it's all about the audience and if it makes sense. Sure. Because when I was over there, I was with the guys that, uh, I was in a tag match and it was like my last day there. And they wanted to do, uh, I was in there with the headhunters and then one of the Japanese guys mm-hmm. that uh, I feel bad I forgot his name, but uh, it's on video because uh, Victor and Manny sent me the video years ago. But uh, it's somewhere out there online where um, one of the headhunters splashes me at the end. He does his moonsault onto the Japanese guy, pins him, one, two, three. And they were like, well, they wanted me to do something and have him moonsault onto me, too. I'm like, well, the match is over. It doesn't make any damn sense. Mm -hmm. Why? So, you know, I I made the office guy up a little upset, you know, but... It didn't make again. It didn't make any damn sense, and so I told him, "No, that don't make any sense." So Victor and Manny, they both agreed, and they're like, "All right, well, we'll, we'll figure something out." So when we were in there, we just did something, and and he ended up dropping, uh, like slashing me instead. But uh, like, the, there was no reason to one, two, three me if they already one, two, three him, kind of deal. It's like, so you know, I, you know, maybe I, I kind of spoke up in, in the wrong spot there, but you know, it wasn't too long after that the company shut down, but you know, I don't know if it, it, if it was the reason that some of the things they were doing didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But or, you, or what? you worked with the headhunters, man. Those guys, man, are always fascinated me seeing them in the magazines and seeing them on television, making some spot appearances here and there. Victor and Manny always remind me like twin abbeys that had agility. Oh man! So, yeah. did you work with them anywhere else but Japan, or was there other spots that you got to work with these guys? Because yeah. I, I was always so fascinated by them, uh, you know, and was always kind of scratching my head why they didn't get quite as much success in the states. I mean, they had exposure through the tapes and all of that, but they, I thought that they, they would have had a little bit more mileage here domestically. Yeah, they well, they did, uh, but from what I remember, is you know, they needed the ropes tight for a lot of the stuff they did because they were big guys, but they were doing what I sure. was doing. And so like when they did a WWE tryouts, the ropes were all loose and, you know, they couldn't do everything that was in their arsenal. So they just weren't getting over like they were everywhere else. And they were like, no, we're keeping the ropes loose. And, uh, you know, luckily I wasn't 300, 400 pounds, so I could do the things off the ropes where they couldn't, I mean, they, they were, they use rope instead of cable and you know, it's not going to be tight. It's only going to be so tight. So, you know, I mean, great guys. I travel all over doing dark shows with them in different places. And I talk to him every once in a while. It's probably been a couple months, but, you know, every once in a while, you know, it, it's it's a small family, but yet a big family. And it, you may not see one of your brothers or sisters in a locker room for 10 years, but if you're still in the business, you're going to run into them again. What You know, whether it's somebody you get along with or not. You know, they told me that early on and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, but then it's true. I mean, if you're around the business, 
you're going to see your people again, you know, or whether on some show somewhere or in a locker room or, or at the CAC, you know, I, I mean, what a great place there, you know, I hope everybody listening now, right now is a member of the CAC or signs up because it helps our brothers and sisters in need, you know? So, I mean, I ask everybody that's listening right, right now, do some research to CAC, check it out. And the Cauliflower Alley Club, because I mean, it, it that's that's they got her, the benevolent first day with my new tongue. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> benevolent fund is what it's called. Benevolent, where fund. they, uh, yeah, where they, you know, with because you know, face, face the facts, we're not all rich, so you know, we don't we don't get all those lucrative contracts. So you know, I I raised I I started out in the business you know, 50 bucks to a hundred bucks to, you know, a couple hundred to a thousand bucks to where, you know, and sometimes I wrestled for free, like a Carrie Von Eric show. Um, we're not all rich. So, you know, and, and we, we abuse our bodies, you know, and that the benevolent fund is there with the CAC to help our brothers and sisters in the, in the hard times of need. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm struggling right now. I, I'm, I'm out of work for, you know, six weeks while I'm having this, but it's like, I'm not going to reach out to the CAC because I know there's brothers and sisters that need it more than I do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not complaining. You know, it's God's taking care of me. You know, I, I have the websites that I have T public and pro wrestling tees where I get t-shirts on there. And, you know, I'm not complaining, you know, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Rasslin Memories uh, with our very special guest uh, Chaz Taylor, and I I, I got to ask uh, about uh, a couple of uh, guys that you mentioned. Uh, you worked on a, on a Carrie uh, Von Eric show. Uh, as Global kind of came up from the ashes of world class. Carrie was and some of the Von Erichs were still around in, in the early part of the '90s. But you kind of got to see a little bit about, uh, of what really uh, went down as far as the unfortunate things uh, with the Von Erich family. But what was it like to work with Carrie on some of those independent shows? I know it's towards the end, and I know it probably wasn't always, you know, peaches and cream. But, I mean, what was it like uh, to, to to see the Von Erichs, especially towards the end there uh, with, with, with some of the passings of the boys? Well, it was great because it was like they were the celebrities wherever we mm-hmm. went. Um I mean, to see Kerry walk into a room, I mean, even the people that didn't know who he was, they were like, damn, look at that guy. You know, like you knew he was somebody. And uh, it was cool because, you know, I, I traveled with them and even Chris Von Eric, you know, I, I, the little one, um, you know, I, you know I, I feel bad calling him the little one, but compared to the, the, the big ones, you know, he was the little one. Like I was always the little one. You know, we we kind of got along because we were the, the cruiserweights, the junior heavyweights, light heavyweights, whatever you want to call us. And uh, so, you know, Chris and I kind of, you know, like before shows, we get in the ring with, you know, Kevin and Carrie and Dad and some of the guys to go through spots. Just to, you know, once the ring was up, and you know, we go into different towns and, you know, you go into a gas station and you know just to you go in to get a, a snicker and uh oh and people recognize you or they recognize them and it's kind of like it's a cool feeling you know it's like uh, you know I, I guess i used to be able to describe it but i guess too many chairs to the head over the years 
<laughs> it happens, man. It happens. You know, you work with the Von Erichs, but uh, also uh, he was involved with Global in the in the first couple of years, and of course he left us to uh, way way too early. And he had such a mind for, for for the business was was Eddie Gilbert, hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert. Oh, yeah. I mean, Eddie and Doug yeah. were working with Global with uh, the Dark Patriot, and Eddie uh, uh, helping out both in the ring and doing some stuff behind the scenes with the book. But Eddie was just seemed like a guy that was a couple of years ahead of the curve as far as you know what became the you know really what became what ECW was uh, branching into uh, right around the time of his death. Things were starting to kind of move in that direction, inspired by some of the, his booking decisions. But you know he, he he had his ups and he had his downs. But I I just want to know what you thought of Eddie uh, in regards to having him in global uh, for that period of time, because I, I really enjoyed some of the, the work he did, especially with his brother, Doug, who uh, the dark Patriot character was actually pretty decent. I mean, I read about Doug doing solo stuff, but I, you know, once he went under the mask, I mean, that was almost a new life for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I have one of my matches on YouTube with Doug also, but uh, Eddie was just, uh, I, I kind of group uh, Eddie with, uh, Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler, and uh, Jerry, uh, Jeff Jarrett, and, and a lot of these guys that, you know, when people talk about Mount Rushmore and um, it, it, Dustin Rhodes, some of these guys that people don't really think about for that Mount Rushmore, that these guys back then were just, like, greats. I mean, back then and some of them now even, like, you know, Dustin's still going out there and kicking ass. I mean, that guy's always been a great worker. I've always thought he was – I've always, you know, it may be controversial. A lot of people disagree with me. I always thought he was a better worker than his dad, but that's just my opinion. But Eddie Gilbert, I didn't know it at the time. He was always respectful with me and cool with me and, and like pleasant, but I didn't find out till later on talking to Terry Sims, Terry Garvin about it, that, that back then looking in hindsight some of the push i got was from eddie gilbert he just didn't let it know be known that that he was giving me a push so you know and terry was like nah kid he really liked you he was he 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 want he was trying to take care of you and so i mean you know i you know i i have that so you know that's kind of cool oh i mean he was you you watch his work and kind of like I guess kind of like my dad, he was slow and methodical that he made everything mean something. He didn't just get out there and go, you know, play around. You know, he, 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 he was deliberate and he knew what he was doing. The guy had a great mind for the business, you know, just like uh, Eric Embry and Kevin Sullivan, some of the greatest minds in the business. And Eddie could throw a decent fireball. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Absolutely. I'm going to bring uh, Mike McCurdy back in uh, for uh, the final segments here uh, on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now with our guest, Mr. Chaz Taylor. Mike. All right, Chaz. I am going to say two words, and you have to tell us a little story behind it. Bungee cord match. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, shoot. Bungie what? <laughs> yeah, Bungie what? Yeah, yeah. But no, Bungie, you and what? Stephen Dane. It's still available on YouTube. Everybody yeah, has seen it. It's on my YouTube it, channel also, yeah. It is on your YouTube channel as well. But what was the story behind, you know, the Bungie Cord match? And how, how would they approach you to it? You know, just give us kind of little details on it. Cause I think this is the only time that Glenn and I have ever had a chance to talk to someone who was part of a very well-remembered match. 
All right. Well, uh, all right. We're going to put some of this in the book because uh, uh, it, the listeners might want to know that uh, Mike, Michael McCurdy and I are writing a, a book about me and dad. So, you know, this, we'll put some of this in there. How about that? Okay. So all right. back, back then, um, you see some of it now, storylines, but back then they were really good about doing storylines and, you know, leading up, not just having a match, but leading up to the different things. And we had this girl that was out there with the ring with us that she was supposed to be my girlfriend and Steve stole her from me. And, but yet we kept having interference with, with from her Akbar or somebody just would always interfere in the match between me and Steve Dane. So we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't have a clean finish, you know? So it ended up to where Akbar had a, a cousin that cause bungee mat bungee jumping was popular then. So he had a cousin that had a bungee jumping company that would travel around. So he's like, he pulled me into the office. He's like, well, kid, we got to do something with you and Steve to kind of make this thing pop. And, uh, what do you think about bungee jumping? I'm like, well, why would people jump out of the damn cage for no reason? That's kind of dumb. I think, you know, but it's like jumping out of a perfectly good plane. Why? You know, I'm like, I'm not scared of heights, but it's that sudden stop that, you know, that kind of <laughs> worries me. But, uh, so we were like, well, we're going to do this. We're, we're wanting to do this angle to where, you know, we finally get the ultimate payoff was, you know, having you guys in a bungee match, you know, six by six cage, whoever gets thrown out loses. So we're like, all right, but how are the people going to see it? They're like, well, don't worry about it. We got it. We're going to have cameras up in the cage, cameras down on the ground. And, you know, the referees mic and everybody, you know, we're, we got this. So we're like, all right. And then, uh, so come the day of the show, um, cause everybody could watch the different lead ups to it. You know what I mean? With me and Steve, which kind of shows you how we built up to the different angle. But I mean, the only thing that kind of would pop at that time, other than a scaffold match, because I mean, that was the thing back then it was scaffold matches. But the only thing you could do to, to one-up that would be bungee. So, uh, you know, so we're like, all right, well, let's do it. And then uh, the the main event comes, and we hit the um, – Steve's getting ready to go outside. He's like, Taz, all right, I'm going to leave this up to you. If you want to bust the company's balls fast for more money, now's the time to do it. I'm like, man, I can't do that. That ain't me. He's like, you know, uh, I'm not going to stiff arm a company and whatever we agree upon, that's what we agree upon kind of deal. And, you know, he's like, nah, man, this, the ball's in your court. You could, you could ask him for more money. I'm like, nah, we already agreed upon it. So, uh, I always kind of thought that was kind of funny too, but, uh, so we, we ended up going out there. We had the bungee cords to us and, uh, we had, uh, if people watch it back, you could see that I have like a, I never let the round, I never, they put the, they hooked up the bungee cord. They threw the thing over my shoulder. So I never, even while I'm down on the ground getting kicked and pummeled during the fight, I never let go of that 
circle, you, you know, like, like the, like you roll a water hose up. It was kind of over my shoulder. So I pull Steve out, win the match. He gets down onto the ground and you know, the bungee cord just, they stretch like double what they're supposed to. So he gets down on the ground and he starts pulling. I'm on the edge celebrating like a damn idiot. Right. Um, so I lose my balance and I fall out and I, I was like eight feet from the ground before I sprung back up. Cause I had that gimmick cord around my, my, my shoulder. Right. And, uh, that was the scariest damn thing I've ever done. And, and a lot of people don't know. They didn't even, they didn't, the cord that I, I, I sprung down on was never tested. So, you know, I, I, I farewell could have, I could have had the fate of Owen Hart or somebody else that, you know, did a high risk move and, and, and it didn't pay off. So yeah, I sprung down, not knowing how far of the ground I was going to hit or if I was going to hit, which add to the fear, you know, and so, you know, okay, then they didn't tell me that Manny Fernandez was going to come out and shoot off at the mouth and, you know, do a, shoot a little promo and stuff. So I'm sitting here, like, celebrating, trying to take it all in and figure out, okay, well, damn, I did, I'm did, i still alive. I didn't die. So that's that's a plus. And uh, he's interviewing me, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so he's asking me questions and stuff. I, said, I don't know, man. My life just flashed in front of my eyes or before my eyes. Or I said something like really stupid. Like, I don't, I'd have to go back and watch it again. But I was like, damn, I sounded like a complete idiot. But, you know, and then, then come to find out, too, once it aired, when we got about 50 feet up in the air, the cameras went out. So the whole time we were up there fighting and doing stuff, and nobody saw it. And it was like, wow. I mean, and you know, everybody was watching. Vince was watching. All the stooges in the office were watching. And it was like everybody was watching. But because the, the, the I mean, if you did it in 2022 now, you can have all these cameras that they could go off of fiber optics or whatever. But we didn't have it back in 94, 90, 92, 90, I think it was 92, 93. And uh, yeah. too, many, too many chairs to the head. Um, but we didn't have it back then and, and we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have the, like the, the little gimmicks that can fly up in the air with the cameras and stuff and, and catch it all. Or, or it would have been the biggest thing since sliced bread, but you know, and then, you know, it, it, it kind of sucks that, you know, some of these people that watch it and put things out there online, they're like, Oh, the infamous bungee match. And it's like the word infamous is it's crap because it's saying it's bad, but the bungee match was good. In my opinion, it's just the cameras went out and, and, and that kind of made, it made, it made everything to bed. But otherwise, I mean, it was a great payoff and it was, I mean, it brought the feud to the end to a head. And then we ended up tagging and getting the tag titles and doing great things. But it was just like the, the cameras going out made it, you know, it, it, it took away a lot of the bang. But again, it's still, I mean, no matter what, you know, the uh, Guinness Book of World Records was scheduled to be there, but then they petered out because they were like, no, if we do this, then 
the next week there's going to be somebody that's going to go five feet higher. Then the next week, somebody else is going to go five feet higher. Yeah. Uh, uh, how many years later is it now, right now? And it's still the world's first and only bungee match. Thanks, Guinness Book of World Records. I even got like uh, on their uh, Twitter page and their Instagram page. Like I, I made comments a few years ago about being, you know, not being on there. And I mean, it kind of made, I guess, you know, I was a little, uh, uh, I was kind of, I went heel on them and they blocked me. I'm like, that's the only kind of, that's the only thing I've ever been blocked from. But it was like, I was kind of, it made me laugh when they finally blocked me. But I was like, you sons of bitches could have been there. How many years later, it's the world's first in capital letters only bungee match. And, but yet they were like, no, next week somebody's going to go five feet higher. And then the next week, five feet higher. And Yeah. Well, you know, Chaz, uh, we're going to, we're wrapping up this interview. Uh, you mentioned, you know, you and I are working on the book about, you know, your life and career and your father's life and career. And also yesterday on Pro Wrestling Insider, Mike Johnson reported, ICWE out of here in Texas, you and your father are going to be recognized in the Southern Wrestling Hall of Fame going in with the family award. Um, after your career, now you're coming down to this and, you know, people still remember you. I mean, I'm getting messages all the time, people sharing their memories as part of the book. Uh, you're getting inducted in the Hall of Fame, and people are excited about that. You know, looking back on the career, and now you know you're being recognized for all these things. How does that kind of make you feel? And you know, do you think like you know, it kind of like the Hall of Fame, the book, and everything? It kind of puts that nice little bow on the package, and that people still remember you and your dad. It does. I mean, and it really does. I mean, and like you say, getting some of the feedback from fans and from other wrestlers and brothers and sisters. I mean, it, it's, it's really nice. Cause like, I remember back in back, uh, shoot. When was it? Uh, when Christian and edge and the Hardy boys were feuding and I was backstage with them and, uh, we were talking and I introduced myself and they, 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 they said, nah, man, we used to watch tapes and learn some of our stuff from you. We know who you are. I mean, I get that same feeling of like appreciation. If that makes sense to you, it's like, like, yeah. like things that I did mattered because people, people took the time out to watch what I did and maybe it interested them enough to where they did what I did. Like, like those guys I mentioned watching some of my tapes, you know, and I'll tell anybody like Ricky Morton, and Brian Pillman and a lot of these guys coming up before me, I watched tapes with them to see how they did things. And then how could I change it, you know, or, or make a move better type deal or whatever, you know, and that kind of deal. And, you know, I like to think I innovated my own moves and, you know, I named, uh, you know, like the, the chastiser, the punisher, you know, it was kind of like, that was my gimmick, a spin around bulldog that, when I did, when I worked with ECW, Nova, he said that was his favorite move ever. And, uh, you know, I popped for that. That was kind of cool. It's like hearing these things like that. I don't know if they give you validation because I don't really need validation because, but it is nice. I mean, it's like, uh, everybody likes to be appreciated and, and, and little things like that make you feel appreciated. But it goes back to like my dad always told me, my mom and dad both that, you can't let the hype and everything go to your head. That's why, like Michael, tell you, I'm I'm one of the most laid back guys because I don't act. I don't have that 
ego or the attitude that a lot of the guys that I traveled the road with had, you know, I, 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 I just, and there's a lot of great guys that I did travel with, but I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm laid back and it makes you feel appreciated. I guess that's, that's, that's the word I would use. If I had one year word appreciated. All right. Well, for our listeners out there, if anybody's interested, you can follow uh, the untitled Chaz Taylor project on Facebook. You can also, if you have any photos or video or memories of Chaz that you'd like to share for possible inclusion in the book, uh, you can email us at chaztaylorproject at gmail.com. Chaz, I want to thank you for joining us today. I mean, I love this interview. You know, you and I, we've known each other since I think here in 2013, 2014, we met at CAC and, you know, you didn't know me from Adam at that time, but you and I hit it off, and it's like we've known each other all our lives. And it, you were someone I grew up, I watched on TV, and now, you know, we're working on stuff like this. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, but I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn as we uh, wrap up this week's edition of the show. Yes, indeed. It's pleasure, been a brother. it's been a great hour with having Chaz on the program, and for Chaz Taylor and the Grizzled Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett, and you've been listening to Rasslin' Memories.